This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I think it's probably my favourite booking of all time was uh, when you chased Jack Grealish from right back all the way to his own half and then took him down. Did I see you having a wee cheeky smile to yourself after? It. <laughs> Look, I think it was. Uh, I was just getting a bit fed off at that stage of the game. He was start. He just came on. He was nice and fresh. And, and uh, normally when the the fresh wingers come on, that's you're a bit tired. So I just need him here because <laughs> I'm getting fed up with him trying to take the mic out of me. Um, so gave him a wee hit. Um, thankfully, John had uh, John McGinn had been giving me some tips. He said if he comes on, you need to be getting nibbling in his ear, but don't be critical. Be complimentary. So. So the full time he was on, I was telling him how good looking he was, and, and I loved his calves, <laughs> and asking him how he got his hair to look like that. So, uh, <laughs> that is was, uh, he said, look, he said, if you say, if you tell him he's a, a I don't know what, what's appropriate here, but if you tell him he's hopeless or kick him really, really hard, okay. he gets up and gets it back at you. So, so maybe, maybe that was the advantage against uh, Jack Grealish uh, the other night. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me for uh, the latest My Old Man Said podcast, which finds us knee-deep in the Euros, Mr. Chris Budd and Mr. Phil Shaw. Welcome back, gentlemen. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. Not too bad. Mr. Budd, I, I see pictures of you frolicking around in uh, sunflowers this week. What, what, have, what have you been up to? I've been getting all cultural this week, David. I... I, I uh... Went knee deep, as you so nicely put it, <laughs> in uh, in the Van Gogh immersive experience at the Hippodrome, which was very good. Did you come out with both both your ears? Is it that immersive, or uh, it's this a full experience, Philip? <laughs> <laughs> the Hippodrome in Birmingham, uh, which should be giving me a free ticket after that plug, but uh, never mind. We 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 no, it's, well, it's well it's well worth a look. To be fair, it's good. The music's great, and the art speaks for itself. Yeah, you can get a cheap price deduction, yeah. can't you? Uh, yeah. Google around. Or if, if people are going, just email me or something. I don't know. I'll, yeah, I'll let you, yeah, you can it. get it's about 12 quid with the, the offer. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Shaw, Loki is out. There's a new Marvel show out. So how is your Disney share doing? Or your fraction of a Disney share? Has it gone up? No, surprisingly, despite Loki being pretty good, it, it's went down. So I don't know what's going on there. Well... Luckily, uh, we we have a new uh, show sponsor. As we go into the new season, I've been thinking, how can we have sponsors that are actually useful? Because I'm not into the shaving the balls humiliation sponsors. 
I'm not really into like betting sponsors. So I was looking for something that could help empower listeners and in this case potentially help them with their personal wealth long term. So uh, this episode is brought to you by Free Trade, which is a commission-free investing app that makes uh, the buying of shares so much more simpler. And the big thing is commission-free because a lot of uh, these apps and companies like charge you £12 a, a trade, while uh, Free Trade you can ju- actually just open up with £2 and then that gives you access to uh, all the main you know, big-hitting shares. And American shares you can actually buy fractions off, like Phil Shaw does. He buys yeah. little, minuscule little fractions of Disney <laughs> shares. <laughs> what else have you got? Well, I had AMC, but um, let's just say I sold it at the wrong time. A- AMC? is the uh, American uh, cinema chain. I think it actually owns the Odeon in uh, the UK as well. So I was thinking uh, if I want to have uh, a sponsor of this show, then I want to have something that I actually use and actually believe in. So that's why I, I reached out to Free Trade and uh, they have obliged with an offer where when you sign up, all you have to do is actually invest, start investing from £2 and you'll get a free share from the value of uh, anywhere from 3 to uh, £200 could be Apple, it could be AMC, could be Twitter, could even be something like Greg's. When I signed up, I think my share was worth uh, six pounds, I think. But it is uh, it's kind of a random uh, potluck. And so far, uh, 700,000 uh, people actually uh, use free trade at the moment. So uh, it's worth checking out. And you can do so uh, to get your free share on us by going to uh, freetrade.io slash moms. M-O-M-S. And remember, as with all investments, your capital is at risk. The value of your portfolio can go down as well as up, and you may get back less than what you invest. And other charges may apply, for example, if you uh, set up uh, an ISA with them. Also, uh, if you're a Myomancer patron, I think we'll be setting up a little uh, Investo Club in Match Club. (laughs) Disruptive. Because uh, we've got all people from different... uh, different walks of life, different industries, so we can have a little bit of a hive mind and uh, discuss potential opportunities. It's like a mom's think tank. Yeah, on on shares and investments. So uh, another level there of of intrigue. So uh, this is the new direction, and thank you very much to uh, Free Trade for getting on board. So uh, check it out. The link will also be in the social media as well. Right, let's get back to the the football. The main part of the show, we will uh, discuss the Euros, uh, focus on England, obviously, with the uh, Villa connection, England versus Scotland as well, uh, throwing a bit of McGinn there. But uh, Aston Villa is suddenly... uh, shook up into life give me a better word they've ignited yeah Aston Villa have ignited into action Uh, we thought you know we'd be sitting around twiddling our thumbs waiting for the Euros to finish before the old transfer window started to uh, explode we'll we'll do the Villa news and we'll do the three points before uh, getting into the Euros first up though the Villa news We thought uh, we'd be waiting to the end of uh, the Euros for the transfer window to uh, truly ignite, but uh, I think the hint was there when Smith said he was excited about potential signings, like this is before the end of the season, wasn't it? Or maybe it's the post-match... Uh 
Yeah, it was, actually, it was just, just after Chelsea, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so obviously everything was set up and it wasn't as if they were going to wait around to see what happened at the Euros. I think they had their list and uh, they were ready to rock and roll. Buendia came in. We haven't really spoken to him about him too much yet, but we'll we'll save that for another day. And then uh, out of left field, uh, Mr. Ashley Young has returned after uh, a decade or so absence. What a decade to leave and come back! Eh? Yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ! He's, he's, he, he knows. There's a there's a man who knows exactly what he's doing. Actually, with his crystal ball. Yeah, you see, this is it. I can I can only compare it to you know, it's like an ex girlfriend. It's like you you get a bit down in your luck, and that they leave and they go on to have the best life in the world. And just when you pick yourself back together, you know, the girlfriend comes back. But that's just the emotional side of things. The the actual. Well, I mean, the girlfriend comes back, but is she still super attractive? Active? Is she still beautiful? Is she rich? Ashley Young looks no different, does he? Has, has she developed new talents? Can she still whip a ball then? Yeah. <laughs> He's back. I mean, we, we won't linger too much on, on him at this stage, but uh, we've, we've spoken a couple of times over the last season about, uh, in terms of getting people in, just something more on the bench that's been, you know, that's got experience to get a wily old head just for a season or two, just in in the moment while we're building a squad, just to have somebody to, to bring on that he has a history of making things happen. You know, bringing on Ramsey and bringing on Keenan Davis, we, we know in that game, as a supporter, you're just thinking, well, whatever the result is at the time, it's probably going to be the end result. But Ashley Young, unexpectedly, is that kind of player. He kind of fits the bill. And uh, he will be 36 when uh, the season starts. But, you know, you've just got to look at the Euros, haven't you? Seb Larson, 37, still rocking and rolling. Zlatan would have been playing if he hadn't got injured. Yeah, Ronaldo still rocking and rolling. Pepe, fucking 38, still yeah. rocking and rolling. I think it's a savvy move. I mean, there's a few people who have, you know, I've, I've seen online who are kind of a bit, what's the point? I'm like, well, we aren't getting the 2010 Ashley Young of that O'Neill era. We're not buying that player. It's a different a different vibe, this one. You're getting a an experienced player that you need, you know, the, the, the accumulative age that you've lost from your squad of Heaton, Elmo and Taylor is probably the best part of a hundred years. Um, so you do need, <laughs> so you do need someone, you know, just to give you that stead, steady, uh, yeah, you need somebody who's 200 years. Yeah. You've got to get that average age up a little bit more. Um, but it's a, it's a savvy move. I think he'll be good for bringing players along. Apparently he's a really good trainer. He's in really good physical shape. I think he can actually bring something to the, the team, potentially the squad. I don't think he's going to come and I don't think he's coming necessarily knowing he's going to be a starter, but I think oh, he, he, will, he will no, feature. He if, you listen, if you listen to his interview, he's coming to start. He's confident. And, uh, you know, the main thing is, I mean, people are saying, oh, you know, you're filling it both. You know, cover a genuine for utility player. He can play anywhere. People are saying cover for Taylor and Target. I think uh, the main thing here is uh, Trezeguet, covering for Trezeguet. Yeah. And, he probably covers three or four positions for me. But oh yeah, no. But I think in terms of where's he going to start first, I think oh, uh, yeah, the tre- yeah. Trezeguet position is uh, is up for grabs because as we keep saying, none of those boys are bang on one hundred percent putting in shifts every week. So uh, there is opportunity there for Young if he is uh, fit, and you know he's been playing under Conti and and he's just won a Serie A, a uh, title title and when you look at uh, I mean I, I did uh, I've done an article on it I'm trying to remember off the top of my head I think when he started at United after he came from Villa the first let's say eight seasons he was averaging I don't know about 22 games a season league games I'm talking about Isn't amazing that, that would be considered his prime but 
in the last three seasons, he's been averaging for this is for Inter and Manchester United. He's been averaging uh, over thirty. So he's in good. Sh- he's in good shape. It's not as if he's been uh, put out to pasture. He's actually been playing more games than he ever has. So uh, that that for me was a massive plus. And uh, you know, as we've seen uh, from the Euros, the the old boys still got a lot to offer. I mean, you know, I was watching Sweden the other day, and uh, Larsson, thirty seven, was rock and rolling throughout the game on the on the right hand side for Sweden. Yeah. So uh, when I saw that, I th- that, that gave me a bit more. I thought, yeah, this this actually is a good buy. And don't forget, he can he's got set pace delivery as well. So if he's on the pitch, the first corner a free kick comes in. I mean, you'll, your eyes will be glued to the screen, or you'll be if you're in the crowd, you'll be watching that. This this could actually be dangerous. I mean, it's not going to yeah, just this... float over everybody's head. <laughs> no, so uh, I mean, there's there's a few sour pusses out there in the Villa ranks that uh, still can't forgive him for uh, moving to Manchester United. But uh, hey ho, you know he uh, as we've said, he's dodged a bullet with the uh, the ten years that he's managed to get out, and he gave us some very good service yeah no very good i mean he's one been one of our best players over the last 20 years easily yep he was a major part of the uh the martin o'neill revolution when it yeah. looked like it was going somewhere yeah and, as, and my, my final point on young is uh i know smith's mentioned this a few times with the recruitment last season compared to the year before in that young he knows the area he knows the club he knows the league so it's a very low risk signing this one yeah you can just bring him in and he'll do his thing and he'll you know it might take a little while to kind of you know to be sort of like to act like that senior pro but he'll set standards that maybe other players weren't good at. point number two let's move on in terms of outs Engels is out I mean how much should we pay for him it's about 8 million euros I think yeah I don't think we're going to get anywhere near that you're going to get maybe off, two three back he's going off to uh, Royal Antwerp this is one of those where I, I was quite happy uh, with him uh, in the ranks of our, you know, four centre backs, but I think it's his a personal situation from his point of view where he wants to play games and uh, he's barely you know, kicked a ball, has he, for about eighteen months? You know, he's got a young family. Maybe he wants to move back for that purpose as well. But mainly, if you're not actually playing, then uh, you need to really do something. And I think they sat down there and thought, right, well, you, you know, suddenly we've got an England international at centre back. We've got another one who'll probably in the, be in the World Cup squad. And then uh, Courtney Houses, who has never let us down every time he's been on the pitch. So it's not easy for Engels to actually chart a path at Villa. Right, uh, fixtures for the new season have come out. I haven't even bothered looking at them. Uh, (laughs) It was like something like, oh, they're going to get changed around for TV. I know we play Watford first game and finish with Manchester City, but I just thought I'm just going to stick with the Euros and then uh, get into Villa mode uh, properly uh, later on. Anything stand out for you guys? You've obviously looked not, at them more uh, than me. Not a bad start. You know, Watford away, Newcastle home, Brentford home. Not a bad start. And then September, October looks much tougher. Hmm. Uh, Christmas, Chelsea, Christmas I, I is look, my, fir- my first port of call is always, but we playing on Boxing Day, Chelsea at home. So we've got a festive game at home. Not a bad end to the season. And February and March, where we're traditionally bollocks, isn't, doesn't look too bad. <laughs> On the face of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you think, well, you know, at least you want to get, a, a, let's say, a reasonably kind start to the season to uh, get some momentum going. But you look at last season, you know, we beat Liverpool uh, in, yeah. the first, in the first four games, 7-2. And then lost to newly promoted Leeds. <laughs> There's, there's another philosophy where you don't actually mind playing the big boys earlier on because everybody's getting to grips with the situation. So it's always, you can get some wacky and weird results as, as we got against Liverpool. So uh, there's two sides to the coin, but I think that we've got a kind of nice mix to start off with, really. Yeah, agreed. Uh, last piece in, well, Lansbury's off to Luton. Not that he's a Villa player, but we'll just thought we'd throw that one in. What happened at Bristol? 
he's living the Lansbury life now, and he only lasted six months. Yeah, what happened to Bristol? Nigel Pearson came in. Ah, <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> came over. He's just, he's just not having him, is he? Yeah, there's no way. He's, uh, the first thing Pearson would do is get rid of any chaff, and uh, let's just there, there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Finally, uh, Douglas Louise is set to travel to Tokyo for the Olympics, uh, which uh, Brazil. I mean, most of these Olympic teams always take uh, some, you know, like under twenty-three type uh, age range. Yeah. So uh, that, depending on how deep Brazil go, and you'd expect Brazil to do pretty well in the Olympics, um, could mean he, uh, he he might not be around for the start of the season, or uh, won't get much of because uh, he's away at the moment with the Brazilian. Uh, international squad copper america not that he's uh, seen much action but he'd have won- had one hell of a long season so i'm sure uh, he's gonna, he's gonna to need a, a break at some point isn't he? he'll have a week or two off there i don't think he's seen his family for yonks has he oh, well, well over a year yeah but uh so yeah he might not be around uh, immediately at the start of the season so we'll see what happens there Right, three points. First of all, uh, it's quite a, quite a wacky one. Uh, fake name registration in the Bundesliga. I don't know how you get away with this. Uh, I always remember uh, Lincoln City uh, having a game and uh, a player had, had been booked earlier on. And the referee, this is in the days where the referee would just ask you for your name. And uh, this Lincoln City player gave the name of another player in the Lincoln team just to <laughs> escape the red card. So, you know, these kind of sh- name-changing shenanigans have been going on. Uh, but here, a Stuttgart player, Silas Wamingatuka. Is that his real name? Or is that no, his that's, false name? No, that was his false name. You tell the story. Yeah, so, um, so he was one of Stuttgart's best performers in the season just gone, Silas Wamingatuka. He was revealed to be playing under a false name and with the wrong date of birth. And it turned out that it was down to his agent. So the agent had um, registered him with a, with that false name and the date of birth wrong, basically to break the links with the the club that he sort of got him from. So this all happened. He was nineteen, and it's been kept secret ever since. So what happened then was uh, Stuttgart. He, the player was basically under so stress. So this is the Cong- Congolese club that he got him from. Was yeah, it? that he got him from. So the the players obviously it's, it's almost like a blackmail situation. This agent continues to have like a hold over him because he's keeping this secret. So Stuttgart and the director of sport Thomas Hitzelsberger, ex villain of course, confided in the player, and the, they came to the conclusion that the best thing to do would be to reveal the truth and just um, get it all out in the open there, and then just deal with whatever happens. So. That happened, and what which, which has with, obviously uh, happened in Hetzelsberger's life as well. Yeah, and what's happened since is the player has been fined thirty thousand and been suspended for three months. But that seems to be quite a light sentence, you know, taking into account the the special circumstances of the case. So all's well it ends. Well, he can he can move forward into the new season without the, that hanging over him. So uh, that's just one last question: uh, What is his real name? Well, his real name now is Silas Katumpa Mavumpa. <laughs> no wonder he changed his name. That's a great name. Well, I mean, he's a good player. So, I mean, getting that on the back of your shirt, oh. it's got a, it's got a bounce to it, hasn't it? When you pronounce it, right? Well, at least Mavumpa is uh, he's outed now. He's uh, he's living his true best life. Also in Germany, point number two. There's a bit of a kerfuffle over the LGBT uh, rainbow. UEFA have launched launched uh, an investigation uh, due to uh, Manuel Neuer's rainbow captain armband during the Euros. Of course, this is Pride Month, so 
no big deal, you would think. Uh, apparently, UEFA considered it a political sign during a game, which uh, is prohibited according to their rules. I think that's somebody's flagged it up who uh, didn't like it, maybe. That's uh, roughly translated. And uh, the uh, German Football Federation potentially was going to face a fine until uh, UEFA finally saw sense. Meanwhile, uh, the Munich City Council wants the Allianz Arena, home of uh, Bayern Munich, they want that to uh, light up to the colours of the rainbow. When Germany face Hungary, Hungary's uh, government uh, recently passed legislation banning schools from discussing LGBT issues and gay marriage is still not legal in the country. So... uh, I don't know what the outcome of that one is yet, but, you know, this is not... The word political, keep politics out of football, only comes up when somebody's not happy with whatever the thing is. But speaking of Hungary, I I remember being in Budapest uh, 15 years ago and there was a pride parade coming through the streets. I just came out of a a cafe with the person I was uh, there with and uh, (laughs) there was all these old women lined up giving the, the, the floats... With uh, you know people dancing on them, just giving them the finger, just standing there holding up the finger to them. So Hungary's obviously in a situation where uh, certain uh, factions aren't too big on uh, the L- LGBT issues, and uh, I think Germany should definitely do that and uh, not wait to uh, you know hear what UEFA have got to say about it. Basically, yeah. Point number three: Norwich are forced to uh, drop a new front to shirt sponsor BK8 after only three days due to historical promotion via soft porn or as one journalist put it sexualized marketing eight is uh, lucky number in china remember w88 ah yes weighty eight mm-hmm. and gambling is also uh, illegal norwich they announced the mutual termination of the partnership with bk8 they took on feedback from the supporters and partners blah blah but maybe this was before the buendia money came in so they needed to get money from somewhere so <laughs> um they said on this occasion we had made an error of judgment our standards were not at the levels we demand of a football club we can and we can now only apologize to our supporters and former players grant holt and darren Eady. grant holt of course of aston villa who the bk at cr- promotional launch sorry no not grant holt of aston villa grant holt of norwich oh yeah well we, he, we only we only like we you know we borrowed him and Wait, what, what was he was it did they dress him up as a dildo or something to... <laughs> <laughs> maybe more use what they did was they basically dumped it and now they're looking for uh, a new front of shirt sponsor there that fits more with their um club ethos but there, there's another twist in the tale of the BK8 story because, of course, the only brand ambassador you can find for BK8 at the moment is um, a Mr. John Terry, who still, <laughs> of course, who of still course. emblazons their website and wears the T-shirt at the times. Has he been involved in any soft porn with them? I don't it hasn't know. Hasn't come out yet. <laughs> John Terry and uh, Grant Holt in uh, soft porn advert for BKA. I, I need to see this. Where is it? <laughs> All right. Before we move on, uh, I just want to say a big, big, big thank you to the My Old Man Said patrons. Uh, thank you very much for uh, supporting us uh, through these uh, summer months. Although, uh, bad news, people. Uh, it's the longest day uh, this weekend. Just Mental. gone. So uh, we're, we're heading to winter again. Woo! Uh, so uh, thank you very much to uh, the latest My Old Man Said patrons who have signed up over the last couple of weeks uh, Max Hastinger Ryan Kelford Michael Callahan, Matt Smith 
Bitplav Gutam. I hope I pronounced that right. And uh, also uh, a big thank you to Paul Sylvester for signing up as an annual uh, Myomancer patron. Uh, if you sign up as an annual patron, you save uh, what's that, around 15%, which is two months free. And you get access to uh, monthly extra podcasts. We've just done a uh, four-part uh, under, underrated or overrated of the whole Aston Villa squad for the last season with uh, new podcasts to come, uh, Mad Few Sessions, and also uh, there'll be a few things uh, since it is the 10th anniversary of uh, My Old Man Said uh, this season. So uh, look out for those, uh, but also you get access to uh, Match Club but please do go to the My Old Man Said Patreon and uh, click on the Patreon option on the menu uh, bar and uh, join us there and get ready for the new season. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right then, well, finally, let's uh, let's talk about the Euros, shall we? Since that's the main gig in town. Let's. You. What's that? Yeah. Was, was that just you? Ha- yes, yeah, so I was just helping us. I just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just... Yeah, so I was just trying to, like, liven it up because you two aren't very happy about it at the moment. <laughs> Oh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I've always been a Holland fan. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, no, I, I've been loving watching John McGinn doing his uh, near Coke routine. Let's talk about England, uh, Scotland. Let's get that out of the way, because that was the one with the uh, the three Villa players uh, in it. Uh, the con- I mean, the context of this, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things. First is these group games, uh, like, you know, when have England ever been good in group games? When have they blown teams away? I mean, there's been some tedious games. Other than uh, Panama, who were probably one of the worst teams you've ever played in a tournament. Yeah, I mean, I remember that Trinidad and Tobago game in the World Cup? Yeah. Dreadful. I remember I was in Berlin for that World Cup, and I remember that game after watch, watching the first 10 minutes. I, I was staying in Berlin for about a month, and I'd bought a bike, like an old, old bike. It looked like a bloody Second World War bike or something. And after watching 10 minutes of that game, I went out into the garden and started uh, fixing it and doing some maintenance on it. That's how exciting England normally are in the group stages. <laughs> so uh, let's not get overboard and... Uh, Everybody's. They. It's. Uh, if there was Halloween, they'd be burning effigies of uh, Gareth Southgate already, and uh, four points on the board is actually qualified. And you know, England haven't conceded a goal yet. I mean, yes, it wasn't that great. But another thing, a bit of context: Scotland are actually better than you think. I watched that game against the Czech Republic, 
And I thought they were all right. They were just a bit too eager and a little bit naive. And, uh, but opening like half an hour, 45 minutes against the Czechs, they, you know, they, they were all over them. They were just a bit too, as I said, too eager in terms of some of their, you know, decision-making and, you know, when they were taking their shots, uh, as uh, they found out later on when that chap, you know, tried to speculative shot, even though there was a few Czech chaps in front of him, got blocked, and then within seconds was in the, whipped from the halfway line into the back of the net on the other end. But I thought, yeah, Scotland are, aren't going to be... Uh, a push over it. I mean, when it came to team selection, the only change was the change of fullbacks. I thought that was a little bit odd. I thought maybe Trippier would be switched, but uh, the idea is the most thing you want settled any department in your team is your defence, surely. You want your back four drilled, settled and uh, in. And I think Mings and Stones works well. If you went for Walker in the first game, I don't understand why you wouldn't go for him in the second game if he is your right back. Considering you won and kept a clean sheet. Huh? Yeah, that that was a bit bizarre. I mean, yeah, in the third game, you know, if we'd have won this game against Scotland, then, you know, then by all means, if you really want to... Uh, but I'd have, I'd have kept the back same back four from, you know, through the group stages, really. Yeah, but if you're if you're changing like the defense, you you picture that it's a it's a change of plan because they're they're diff- two different kinds of players. So you'd you'd expect changes further up the pitch to sort of work in tandem with those changes at the back. But there wasn't any changes. It was just like two players slotted in, and the two fullbacks didn't really add anything. I barely remember them doing anything in the game. Was this? Uh... Because he thought he'd, the the fullbacks would get up a bit more, but you know all of our England fullbacks uh, can you know they can attack, can't they? That's, that's what they're, they're better at, if anything. Yeah, they're all fit for purpose. I, I didn't quite understand that. In terms of uh, other end of the pitch, uh, I didn't expect Grealish to start at all. But we all did say before that we thought he would play in this game. Yeah, exactly. We thought he would come on and uh, that, you know, that happened. But I mean, we'll, we'll, let's let's get into the game. I mean, the first half, I was thinking and this is almost like a flashback to bloody 1996, feels exactly the same. Both teams, you know, chances, England reasonably uh in control. But Scotland, uh, I think they probably had a bit more uh, of a shout in this game than the 96 game, to be honest. Yeah. But then you're just thinking, uh, well, second half, I've, this should play out like 96 did. And uh, England, you know, like let's say from about 60th minute, should really take control here. But I think man for man, you know, Scotland were playing, they're probably a better team, to be honest, than the 96 version. And uh, England were struggling. Against Croatia, Phillips played higher up. And I think that was maybe because they knew Croatia was, uh, let's say, an ageing midfield. In this game, you thought, well, Phillips would be essential to kind of give us a foothold here. But I I didn't see our uh, midfield really uh, controlling this game to the extent that I was expecting. No, I mean, McGinn... McTominay, young the young lad Gilmore, they did really well. They were a unit, yeah. Um, and we just we couldn't control the tempo of the game that we wanted to. I think we we just we just lacked energy all over the field for you know for whatever reason that is. I don't know. But the Scots had that thing when you, you could hear other pundits talking about it. The Scots treated it like a derby game, was snapping at England, and then when they got the ball, they had a little bit of bravery to go. Actually, we might as well have a go here. You saw that in the first sort of five minutes when you had the Chadham's chance. Nice little interchange by the corner flag. Pulls it back. Chadham's has the chance and it's blocked by, I think it was uh, Stones, wasn't it? They had a little bit of quality. I mean, I don't think Scotland are a brilliant footballing team, but what they had was a bit of belief that they had a plan and they were going to go for it. And, we, and, you know, and they had enough chances to suggest that when we get the opportunity to have a go at England, we're going to, but we're not going to be gung-ho 
and we'll kind of hold England at arm's length and we'll pick our moment to go. And they kind of did that really well, I thought. And England just frustrated England because England didn't have the quality almost to, to actually force the issue. And when Scott, we, we never invited Scotland on to, you know, we want to, we're best when we're playing behind teams. Scotland sat deep and we didn't have an answer. That was, you know, that was a very much a tactical victory for 90 minutes for Steve Clark over Southgate. Southgate did not have an answer. Yeah, Scotland, I think against the Czechs, if they, when they when they were like knocking on the door in the first half hour of the, of that game, if they scored then, I think they would have got a positive result out of that game. So it was easy to dismiss them as like the you know the fourth best team just because they got beat by the Czechs. I thought the Czechs were a strong team. They held off uh, Scotland and then they were clinical. But here, so you know, going into it, I thought if if England don't get a grasp of this game, then they they may struggle to get you know real traction. Yeah. And I look at this England team. And there's a lot of young attacking talent in it. But are these players at their respective clubs, like, the, are they the icing on the cake kind of players? Are they really the reason those teams do really well? Or are they, you know, like Foden, how many games did he play? Great, talented player, but he's not, he's not De Bruyne, is he? He's not, he's not uh, winning you the title for City. And I'm, I'm thinking, are they just a bit too, I don't know, lightweight? Because you're relying on Phillips to, do, uh, to be your muscle in midfield. And unless you've you, you've got the ball and you and you're zipping it around and, you, and there's movement and there was no movement there was no guile and with those kind of you know the talent we've got we've got to got to have guile and movement or else we're we're, we're sitting duck. Yeah, I, I just think with with that side you, you you mentioned Foden. Foden is part of a well-oiled machine at City, isn't he? And they get the best out of him in their system, and it works brilliant. And you saw that all season; he was fantastic for them. Grealish at Villa, you know, when when Jack's at his best, it's when the team is built around him to get the best out of him. I don't think Southgate has that side set up to get the best out of the best players. You know, there's a lot of call for like Kane to be dropped, which I don't agree with personally. I still I still think if you get the ball in the right areas for him, he's going to score you goals. But I just I just think he, he doesn't he doesn't have his combinations and we haven't seen that over a while because of course every England friendly and qualifier, it's a different team. I mean I couldn't tell you what England's best team is. I don't even think Southgate could. Well if you play Kane you need somebody uh Close closer to him to, him, yeah. to kind of uh, you know work with him. And I think go back a tournament or, or two with these younger players there was so much pace in the team the path to success was just to counter-attack with blistering speed and they you know still have that potential if they play one of the big boys where we're going to have to soak up pressure if we can withstand it and you know the good news is Mings is playing well and uh, they've kept two clean sheets so it gives them a chance but in terms of taking games to teams uh, you know what's in that midfield really to to really get a like Grealish came on it you know that everybody was talking about Grealish get him on get him I mean this this is the interesting thing about Grealish three months ago before his injury but you know four months if you include the last couple of weeks he was like being spoken of of yeah yeah you need to be in the squad that was about it wasn't it there wasn't mm. like mainstream yeah. ITV BBC they weren't talking about him now it's like every it's like what happened in three months? He hasn't played a game, but his stock has gone right through it's like the, the roof. Stock the savior, and now every you know in the first half, Grealish, 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 this, Grealish, that. My friend in uh, Holland was saying all they're speaking about on uh, Dutch TV is Grealish, and I'm like, yeah, it's like he hasn't actually played for three months for Villa. You know, played a couple of made a couple of starts at the end of the season, but in that three months, he's suddenly now England's savior. And the only time nobody spoke about Grealish was when actually when he was on the pitch. And you thought, what's he meant to be doing here? They haven't got a system for him. They haven't got a system no. for Kane. They haven't or got a Foden. system or Foden. It's like there's no real cohesive setup. I thought against Croatia, as we said in the previous podcast, it was a controlled, comfortable win. But there was potential there for, uh, watching mm-hmm. Croatia against the Czechs. We could have gone out and, bl- and 
put them to the wall, really, because yeah. Croatia, Croatia only woke up in that Czech game in the second half. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of things that happened whenever Grealish came on, just lead into it. I mean, the, the chance Shea Adams had at the end, Grealish was the one that was sliding in to put him off at the back post. I mean, what's he doing there? And again, when he got fouled by O'Donnell, he was he was in his own half. I mean, we've had that problem at Villa before. I mean, Grealish shouldn't be picking up the ball in his own half. I mean, he, he had to do it at Villa at times because the players around him weren't good enough. I mean, in, the, in that England team, he shouldn't be picking the ball up, you know, in his own half to, to, to start things. It's just like, there's what is the plan? Is it get him into a position that he can do damage? Or does he have to actually go and get the ball and try and do damage himself because nobody knows what they're doing? Yeah, I agree. It looks it looks like with Jack and same with Foden, you've got these players who are, have shown through the season they've got the ability to have these moments of genius. But in an international tournament against a very well organised back four, you can't your tactic can't be pass to Jack, pass to Phil Foden, and and then just rely on them to make something happen. You actually have, have to have a system to you know, get the best out of one or other or both of those players. And, a, and there's got to be a movement, yeah. And a case, and you've got to move the ball quickly. You know, I think most people are pretty confident of Jack. If you get in one on one with anyone, you're going to fancy him. The same with, to be fair to him, the same with Sterling. Really, we don't get Sterling one on one with his no. his fullback very often. That's actually not Foden's game. He's not a get his head down, get to the ball and deliver. That's a Sancho move. Foden is silky, he wants to play off people, he wants little, you know, pop pop passing around the penalty area and really intricate interplay. They're not doing that. It's kind of like I don't see what our plan is to get the best out of our best players. That's the big the big concern. I think he's actually defensively we look relatively organized. I've seen a few people talking about how do we actually connect the front to the back in terms of his either Phillips has to go or Rice has to go, or you have to move Mount deeper and, and give him license to drive forward with the ball. Because at the moment, it seems like we've got a, a solid back four that, to be fair, you can put anybody at fullback and they're all good players. Yeah. The keeper looks relatively solid. I actually thought he was probably our best player on the night. We haven't mentioned that yet, but Pickford made a really good save in the first half. Yeah, I would say game. Pickford and Mings uh, yeah, were probably probably, are probably the guys that just you know held it together for England yeah. to make sure they didn't lose that game. Yeah, so mm-hmm. we've kind of got like a, a relatively solid you know, six that we can put behind the ball. But it's the... It's the combination further forward. It's just not. It's not there. I thought Phillips would be playing higher up, like he did against Croatia. He's got the engine to do it, hasn't he? He can get up and down. So I was thinking, do, do you get? Do you sacrifice Rice and just have Phillips playing a bit deeper and you know playing more, let's say number eight, rather than just covering the back four? Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about the the Scottish midfield trio that we mentioned before, I mean, McTominay. Uh, McGinn and Gilmore. I mean, there's variety there. The three of them are different, very different players. I mean, you've Rice and Phillips, not a lot of variety between them. I mean, Phillips could be, I, don't, I think Rice could probably play that sort of forward role as well. I've seen him score goals and run run things for West Ham. It's just they're they're basically being asked to play the same, same position. Yeah, because, you know, in isolation, the result, you could have won, you know, we could have sneaked a goal at the end 1-0 and everybody's, you know, hunky-dory, but the result's not that important because uh, it's more like you just saw the limitations and the lack of, uh, let's say, potential here. I mean, that's the worrying concern. We were just poor? Because, you know, you look at France and Hungary, you know, draw, you know, nobody's shitting their pants there because they know the French have got quality that they can turn it on if they want to. And they've already shown it as well, to be fair. They've shown flashes of quality. England haven't. And that's the big thing, like Belgium. I mean, if you're looking at the par of how I thought Belgium would do, they're below the par that I was expecting because their defence all over the fucking shop. There's there's weakness there. But when they when they were struggling, uh, make a couple of substitutes. De Bruyne comes on, Bing Bang Bosch. That you know they know it's there in the tank. England haven't showed evidence of those gears yet. 
No, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, but in, in looking forward, it could be a it could be a blessing in disguise because if John Stones had took that early chance, which I don't know what he was doing with the header that hit the post. I mean, he was trying to make it far too complicated, or the one that Sterling put through the legs and Mason Mount side footed it wide from six yards. Any of those two early chances go in in England, win one or two nil. I mean, the, these problems might not be highlighted that to, to be allowed to be resolved. They might everybody might just think things are moving along nicely. So yeah, it is a chance to get get things sorted before getting into the tougher games. But yeah, it's it's not like it, it, I think it would be wrong to have a go at any of these players from Kane to you know Sterling. It's not an individual player issue. This it's a collective. It's a system. It's a tactical thing that it does lay with Southgate because you can't say he's not been given the tools. And frankly, this is probably one of the first. I mean, you take the Maguire injury out of the, the equation, which is not ideal. But I, we haven't lost like a real talisman. I wouldn't have said in Maguire. You know, in previous, you know, in big tournaments, you know, we've had like you know Owen, Beckham, Rooney. We we haven't had like you know. Imagine if Kane had done the had the the pre the uh, the pre tournament metatarsal. Well, as I said uh, on the last show, I'm not. I'm still not convinced with Kane at major tournaments. But you, you just mentioned talismans there. I don't think we've got a talisman in midfield. We've got all these super icing on the cake talented players, but we haven't got a proven, tested talisman midfielder. And that is, I mean, you know, Mings. I've watched an interview with him today. It's you know quite good from the England camp, and he's you know he said I'm 28. I feel really old in you know both the Villa squad and this yeah. England squad. And I thought, yeah, that is the thing. There's that you really want the exuberance of youth to get you through because that's pretty much all you've got. But when when you say exuberance of youth, and then you look at the talented players that we've got, you're expecting movement, you're expecting guile, you know, pop, pop, pop all over the shot, players running in from all kinds of angles, and shots on target goals galore. Not three shots on target over is it two games now? Yeah, and we're not playing to the only strength we have with all this exuberance of youth and you know talent, and we haven't got your Scholeses, we haven't got your Lampard. We haven't got a Beckham. No, it, it looks like the the players are. It's not right to say, but it looks like they're playing what they want to do to please the manager, rather than what they think is the right thing to do themselves. Which is just playing like, with the shackles on. I think. Yeah, it is. Just, a, the Scotland game, especially. I think the, the Croatia one. I think they would get a pass because I think the first game you just got to get your points on the board, get the win, and they and they did it very professionally. The Scotland yeah. game, it's a bit more like you want to see a little bit more, and actually you saw a bit less, and they look nervous. Because, you know, 1996, England weren't blitzing that game by any shape or form. Nah, and if and if and if Scotland had put away that penalty that Seaman saved, then you've suddenly got a different game. And, you know, the inflection of that would have been completely different across, you know, history. As we look back, we look back at it as oh, an yeah, easy win against the Scots, you know, broke down the resistance. But it wasn't that easy and it wasn't a complete England performance. We saw that team play in its optimum when they, when they, when they hammered the Dutch. Yeah. 4-1. And uh, this, you know, it's happened so many times in, in tournaments where England have struggled and either the third game, it, it all comes together. So maybe we'll get that against the Czechs. You know, that remember against Poland when Lineker scored three, and you know, we battered them, as we, as I just mentioned there, the Dutch game. So it sometimes does click. So, But I think against the Czechs, it's an interesting position now because the Czechs are in pole position. A draw will do them. And it will probably do us as well. It will probably do us, but you know how the English public is. They want to win and they, you know, they want to finish top. But most of all, there you want. I would rather win that game, but absolutely put in a performance where you think I don't give a shit who we're playing in the next yeah, round. I agree. You've got. Yeah. They have to put a marker down at some point, like you know the Italians have done. Yeah, rather than like uh, drawing that game nil nil, and then 
you're going into that second round with, with zero momentum. And let's be honest, there's no great team in this tournament. French, French will come good, so you're going to beat them, have to beat them at some stage of the game. Portugal are, are doing what Portugal do. They, they never play well. Even when they win the bloody tournament, they don't, mm. they don't play that well. No Germany, I'm still not convinced. This, this, is not, this is not optimum Germany. I mean, they switched on because they knew this is fucking Portugal. We can take care of them. The Dutch are exciting but can't defend. So many holes in that Dutch team, and it's not clinical. They haven't got a real clinical edge to it. So if England got their shit together, but I don't think they... I think, as I said, icing on the cake players. I don't see uh, players that produce. All our big players need to be... Well, tactically, we need to get them in the right positions where they can hurt the opposition. And then when they get there, they've got a... It's that final ball, final you know, final pass, shot, whatever. You know, it's, it's fine margins. Because this tournament is crying out for Grealish. If he's getting the ball on the edge of the eighteen yard box, he's going to cause people. He's going to cause them all kinds of bloody problems. And yeah. it's uh, same as Sancho. To be fair, same as Foden. We've got the players. Any, any final words on England? I, I, you know, I'm not. I've, I've seen too many bloody tournaments to uh, get excited uh, and start uh, crying about this one because uh, you're just going to get through the tournament and they're in a decent position. Yeah, well, I mean, I would, I, what I would say is if, if England, if we go back to like if England were a stock and a sh- or stock or a share, you would buy now because they're they're in the dip, but they're gonna they're gonna rise again whenever they do get through to the next round. I mean, it's it, it's crazy the the sort of the op, it's like a roller coaster. That, I mean, playing against Croatia and winning one nil, you know, everyone's optimism through the roof. Nil nil against Scotland with a, a performance that wasn't much worse or definitely wasn't any better, and everybody's in the floor and people selling selling their England shirts and everything else. Now it's it's, it's, you know, it's just it's still only two games. Yeah, I still don't think, though. Frankly, uh, you know, even being measured, I still don't think we're a particularly great side. I think we've got some brilliant individuals. I don't think as a collective unit, though, I don't yeah, think we're there yeah, personally. Not, yeah, we haven't got that midfielder that kind of links it together, and yeah, it's kind of uh, it's a collection of players and not a team, is it? You just need to stumble upon the right performance and the right formation, and it could just click. And that's that's what international tournaments are. You can still see England playing like, let's say, one of the big boys, being under the cosh and catching the other team on the break two or three times, and you know, winning that game because that's how I think that suits us. To be honest, yeah, it suits that's what us I'm the saying. Team opening up against us, we want space to play. And all our top players, like Jack, like Foden, like Kane, Sterling, you know, and the end is an endless list. They all want to like either run in behind, they want space to play, and they want to play in little pockets. They're not so, getting it at the moment because teams like Scotland are. I'm, I'm not going to be as disrespectful to say parking the bus, but they've got a plan to negate England. Yeah, I think England would would struggle against Wales, would struggle against... Uh, well, we teams. see it in qualifiers sometimes, we see it in friendlies, teams sit deep against us and go, all right, come on then. And that's why watching England, a lot of the time, especially at home, is boring as sin. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's, uh, enough about England. Uh, we'll, we'll see how they get. I yeah, mean, definitely, that's uh, enough of England. <laughs> it always comes alive in the second round onwards when you start to uh, get into it. But we just need a performance against the Czechs. Uh, yeah, just to show us, but yeah, I, I don't think there's a real team there. That is the problem. Speaking of real teams, uh, it's certainly in spirit. Wales have managed to uh, traverse through the group in second place, and done well. uh, decent display against Italy as well. Even though Italy were resting players, they're still uh, they've got a decent enough squad that there's players that want to make an impression. Yeah, and um, you know they went down to ten men. Bale actually had a chance because so it could have been a. Uh, a draw. He's, missed, he's, missed, he's missed some bad ones, hasn't he? He's so had a mare, and shocker, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, great, great ball to uh, Ramsey for the win against Turkey, but 
And what a disappointment Turkey have been, by the way. Everyone was sort of tipping them to be like, really, you know, they're always technically good players, but they look, they've looked awful. Yeah, I mean, I even I thought they were going to do something because uh, you just look through that team and then you just remember, well, you know, these aren't minnows. They've got to the World Cup semis uh, not so long ago and uh, you look across that team and you go, this is actually a talented crop, but they've just been they're just useless. They're young, aren't they? They look a bit young and naive and lacking lacking experience. Well, I wouldn't call them naive. I just just useless. Hmm. <laughs> let, they've let in eight goals in three games. I mean, your guy Sue yeah. the place for Leicester. Bad. I mean, he he's usually like knocking on the door of the Premier League team of the season, and in this tournament, he's just been awful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not as bad as uh, Denier of Belgium. I think that. I mean, he's. In, I think he's in because of an injury, but he's he was all over the place against Denmark and uh, Denmark. If they actually had some uh, some, you know, let's say top quality strikers, they'd have seen off Belgium there. They had. They were all over them in the first half. So Belgium don't look. I mean, they've got some uh, aces up their sleeve, but uh, I would I would go for France over Belgium again. I just think for the French have got the firepower and a bit of know how, and they've got they're all just about the right age where they've got a little bit of tournament experience. They're a unit that have played together a lot. They just they won the World Cup as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe they won it together. This isn't a new team. You look at the number of new players in this England squad in comparison from 2018. To now, there's not, you know, there's a few from the World Cup, but there's not, it's not like the core of the squad. I thought that was a young team. I thought that would yeah. there would be evolution, but it's almost like we're starting they've again. Off. Mm-hmm. They've all dropped yeah. off, haven't they? Those players you look at, like players who were big in that tournament, Lingard, etc. Mm. It's almost like we're starting again when when this should be really a mm-hmm. team that is three years, you know, more experience and uh, you know ready to go. It's almost like we are starting again. It's a, it is a bit weird. So uh, before we uh, disappear, any other team? I mean, Italy. I think look good. I Italy think they look good. Yeah, they look they, they look better than I thought they'd be. But they might be one of these teams who have a great group stage and then they just get hammered in the second round straight away. It'll be interesting <laughs> with a lot of these teams who've been playing at home. You know, Italy have had all home games. England have. Holland have. When teams have to start travelling, how they actually yeah. manage to you know play on the road and don't have their sort of their their comfort blanket. I actually think for one with England, it might actually help us traveling. It might actually focus us a bit more. Yeah. Spain. It's in vintage Spain, is it? Let's be fair. Jeez. I mean, Poland realized finally that, uh, nice of Lewandowski to finally turn up at a tournament as well. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Poland, uh, you know, like to watch the the polls in these tournaments, but always disappointing. And in this game, you just thought, come on, come on. And then he, you know, finally he, he arrives. Great header. And you're thinking, well, you shouldn't have got beat by Slovakia, but there's a real opportunity because I think Sweden are a workman team. And uh, but you can see Poland beating Sweden if they actually decide they want to go through. It looks actually a p- pretty weak group that one. I would mm-hmm. have said because this is yeah. not a vintage Spain team by a long way. This is more like sort of mid '90s Spain for me. If Spain had a striker, yeah. Yeah, and when Slovakia beat Poland, I thought, oh, maybe there's something about this Slovakian team. But you know, against Sweden, they were they were they were dog awful. So uh, whoever's going to play any of these teams in the second round, there's nothing really to be scared of, is there? No. no. But you know, these you know, you can we've seen it before. Teams, you know, Portugal being absolutely awful, winning the Euros, three draws hmm. in their group stages. Yeah. 1990 was it Argentina after the 86 win they got to the final again where they got beat 1-0 by Germany they were awful 
Then you have the Greeks in 2004 again. Oh, I mean, God, yeah. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if you ended up with like a France-Germany final. You know, the two teams that play each other in like the opening game, sort of all both of them make it all the way through to the final, like Portugal and Greece did that time. And Yeah, but <laughs> the opening game was Turkey... Oh, no, but I just meant the opening, game, the, opening game of the group. Yeah, sorry. yeah, I know what you mean. All right. Yeah, no, uh, I, I mean, I don't think Holland are going to uh, go deep, deep. I just don't think they've got that uh, cutting edge... And they look statistically, it's the teams that can be a bit pragmatic sometimes that generally tend to do well in tournament football, which which is why I got a little bit, uh, I got a warm feeling about England against Croatia. I thought this is a typical performance of a team that actually, you know, as you say, pragmatic that ends up winning. We've got all these like super, especially you know, in knock in the knockout rounds when it's just about getting the job done by any means. Because I was thinking, yeah, we've got all these superstar young uh, attacking players, but I, I, I was just thinking, I don't think they're going to win us the tournament though. It's uh, being uh, solid, you know, having an element of shithousery and just having that one man who, uh, you know, gives you get six goals in the tournament. That normally does the job. And at this moment in time, I mean, I think that England's two clean sheets is it's kind of a plus in that respect. When I compare them to Holland, I think maybe England need to be involved in a real firefight and to get the attacking players to you know raise their game and actually think, fuck this, let's do this, rather than trying to play some kind of system that's not obviously working because uh, I think Southgate's maybe trying to, trying to be purposely pragmatic to try to win the tournament in the end, when uh, that might not be the way to go because I don't think we've got the personnel to be pragmatic. I mean, who's it, who in midfield is being pragmatic? Like probably Rice and that's about it. Yeah, and you know, ultimately we haven't really... <laughs> Our defence has been solid, but I wouldn't have said we've been massively tested yet. No, we haven't been tested with any, like, guile yet, have we? No. no. Scotland was pretty much what, you know, Mings and uh, Stones has been used to, you know, playing in the Premier League. I mean, my overall view on the tournament is it hasn't really changed. I'm, I'm still, you know, trying, you know, tirelessly to really get into it and be really enthusiastic, but I'm, I'm just not not there at the moment. Yeah, I just, I just haven't, it hasn't sparked into life for me yet. And well, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there at the weekend. I'm off to <laughs> with, Budapest. With friends. <laughs> I'm off to Budapest to watch Holland play whoever, whoever finishes third in groups D, E or F. Because of the format that it's spread all over Europe, uh, you don't really get that in... It just lacks the identity of one country. Yeah. yeah, which we mentioned on the last show. So there's that missing, but, you know, like anything, once you get deep into the knockout rounds, then uh, it will capture some of its uh, expected so. glory. I hope so. But there isn't a big plethora of, there's more teams, but there's less with any, you know, real, the big hitters aren't looking impressive. And even France, uh, you know, fell to Hungary. And, and fair play to Hungary, because that was... Uh, it's like a proper game. You got the full stadium, and that's why I'm going uh, to the Budapest. But uh, you had a team that actually, uh, you know, were buoyed on by the crowd and believed they could get something from that game. I like that celebration actually when he smashed that desk <laughs> up, and that woman, that woman was yeah, like, "That's what the a fuck's brilliant going scene." On? <laughs> Don't forget to follow the show on whatever podcast app that you listen to, whether it be Spotify, Apple, Pocket Cast, etc., etc. Also, go to free trade io slash moms to get your free share as well by signing up to their app that allows you uh, to build your portfolio in the simplest no-nonsense way but anyway we look forward to uh, the conclusion of the group stages and uh, by the time you hear from us again we will be uh, underway in the second round and who knows villa may even have signed another player but so far so good in the transfer window They've moved quickly. Oh, that's good.
So all good in the hood at Villa Park, and uh, I will be talking to Mr. Perslow, actually, uh, in the fan consultation group meeting uh, this week. So uh, in the next show, uh, we will have some insights from that as well. So until then, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.